0: Tonight, oh no! Even beer cans have gone woke? It's Thursday, July 14th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and this is the Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. The other day, a can of Bud Light lands in front of me upon the table, and it was like no other can of Bud Light I've seen before, which is to say it was festooned with a rainbow and a command to, quote, celebrate everyone's identity, end quote. Now, at this particular time, I was identifying as a parched humanoid in the summer sun who simply wanted to quench my thirst with some cold suds. Full disclosure, despite its inexplicable popularity, Bud Light is not a desirable brand of beer for me. Budweiser itself truly meets the proverbial bad beer definition of horse piss. So why would I even want further watered-down pseudo-equine urine in my glass? But as sailors tend to say, any port in a storm, I suppose. But nevertheless, what was this odd can in front of me? Was it a container for beer or was it propaganda to indoctrinate drinkers to embrace a facet of critical race theory or critical sexual orientation theory, as the case may be? In addition to the celebrate command, the can was festooned with pronouns. There were the classic pronouns, you know, she, him, her, they, etc. But then there were a bunch of made-up words, which I imagine are whiz-bang new age pronouns that do not reside in any dictionary that I know of. Indeed, I don't even know how to pronounce these words, which is a pressing concern for someone who currently identifies as a journalist. And get this, Labatt Breweries, which brews Bud Light in Canada, they have apparently axed the call centre, so calling the 1-800 phone number on the can is an exercise in futility, as there are no more he's or hers or they's picking up the telephone these days. Anyway, in the days following, I remained obsessed with those made-up words, in both English and French, no less. As a side note, I'll have to ask my francophone colleague, Alexa Lavoie, if she can make sense of the words in French. Say, how do you say phony baloney in French? So it was that yesterday I traveled to the Labatt Brewery in London. No, not the real London, the Ontario London, that is, to see if anyone could educate me. Check it out. Reception. Reception. Yes. Hi there. Um, my name is David Menzies, and I'm with Rebel News. And I'm just hoping to speak to a spokesperson about these um, Bud Light pens. It's you know they have words on it. I'm not even sure how to pronounce them. X E X E M S I E H I R. I was just trying to find out what these words are, how you pronounce them. You know who's responsible for that? Is is there someone that can speak to me? Um. Um, I'll send someone out to the gate. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. Oh, hi there, sir. How are you doing? Good. You? Do you work for LeBac? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, okay. Hi, are you the lady that's uh, going to talk about the bike light can? Do you know what an XE is or an XIR? No? It's on the can. I have nothing to do with marketing. So isn't that interesting? Not even the people at Labatt know what these words are or how to pronounce them. And no, I never received a response to my emailed query. And no Labatt corporate did not get back to me either. But the question arises, what is the purpose of putting all this gender gibberish on cans of beer? And Bud Light is no fringe beer made by some cottage brewery in the gay village. Bud Light is about as mainstream as it gets. Do you think the average consumer of Bud Light gives a rodent's rectum about bogus gender descriptors? What is Labatt even thinking? Indeed, is there even 10 people in all of Canada who refer to themselves as an XE or XEM or an S-I-E or an H-I-R or a Z-E or a Z-I-R? Huh. I think ground zero for Pronounapalooza goes back to 2016 when the great Jordan Peterson took a stand against compelled speech. He refused to use makeup words to describe students who attended his former place of employment, that being the University of Toronto, And for taking a sane and righteous stand, the various spirit unicorns and their asinine allies on campus had a conniption, of course, demanding Professor Peterson be punished. But thankfully, Peterson did not bend the knee. And in an interview with the BBC, he stated the following, quote, I've studied authoritarianism for a very long time, for 40 years, and they've started by people's attempts to control the ideological and linguistic territory. There's no way I'm going to use words made up by people who are doing that, not a chance," end quote. Bravo, but alas, earlier this month, Professor Peterson was kicked off Twitter for apparently hurting the feelings of Ellen Page, who is now going by the name Elliot Page. Jeez, talk about a real page turner, eh? Anyway, Peterson called the person who performed surgery on her a, quote, criminal physician, end quote. And that was good enough for the censorious thugs at Twitter to cast aside Professor Peterson. Hey, what happened to that diversity we're all supposed to be embracing? Or is a diversity of opinions offside, even when it comes to a company such as Twitter, That is based in the land of the First Amendment. Now, granted, Peterson can return to Twitter. All he has to do is apologize and delete the controversial tweet. Instead, he released a video statement claiming he'd, quote, rather die, end quote, than do that. Oh, how we need more strong men such as Jordan Peterson. Can I call him a man, by the way? (laughs) Indeed, Peterson is akin to the little boy in the fable, The Emperor's New Clothes. You may recall that the boy was the sole individual in the village who called out the duped king for not wearing any clothes at all. When that fable was penned way back in 1837, the boy came across as the voice of reason in 2022, alas, being the voice of reason gets you banned and deplatformed and even fired lest you hurt the feelings of someone who might be, you know, mentally ill and in urgent need of psychiatric treatment. And I do not exaggerate when I reference mental illness. I hearken back to the 1973 nonfiction bestselling book Sybil. Now, Sybil was one of the names adopted by Shirley Ardell Mason she actually identified as 16 different people. For example, one person she identified as was Peggy Lou Baldwin, who was described as assertive, enthusiastic, and often angry. Sometimes she identified as Mike Dorsett, who was a builder and a carpenter, and so on and so forth. But here's the deal, folks. In yesterdecade, decade, Sybil was being treated for a psychiatric condition, namely Dissociative Identity Disorder. But hey, in retrospect, perhaps Sybil wasn't mentally ill at all, but rather she, he was way ahead of the curve. Could it be that Sybil was a they, and they should not have been occupying the couch of a psychiatrist, but rather they should have been championed on a beer can? Welcome to the tyranny of the minority. And by the way, folks, even if you are not part of the Alphabet Soup community, but you identify as a close ally, you better damn well make sure you know you're knitting, or else you might just end up unemployed despite your good intentions. Case in point, back in 2017, former Liberal Party of Canada president Stephen LeDrew, was on Fox News for a Q&A with the always superb Tucker Carlson. The interview was primarily about the new gender identifier code, or whatever it's called, being embraced by the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. You see, LGBT is just way too obsolete these days. So it is the Federation now refers to this group with a 15-letter identifier, namely L-G-G-B-D-T-T-T-I-Q-Q-A-A-P-P. Now, this love and spoonful of Alphagetti stands for lesbian, gay, genderqueer, bisexual, demisexual, transgender, transsexual, two-spirit, intersex, queer, questioning, asexual, allies, pansexual, and polyamorous. As an aside, folks, did you notice that one letter is conspicuously absent, namely H for heterosexual? You know, that silly sexual orientation that comprises about 98% of the people on this planet? (laughs) But I digress. Now, keep in mind that LeDrew was on the air trying to convince Tucker that this new descriptor was a good thing and that freedom of speech is very much alive in Canada today. No, seriously. But then LeDrew answered a question from Tucker that resulted in him being terminated by his employer, Bell Media. Check it out. I'll get specific with you. What's, and, and this
1: is meaningful because teachers are being taught this, kids will be taught it. And I think I have a right to non-judgmentally ask what they're talking about. So, for example, what's two-spirit?
2: Well,
0: two-spirit sounds like there's someone they don't know whether they're, uh, you know, fish or fowl. They don't know whether they're, whether they're frick or frack. So they're clearly confused. And, you know, again, if you're confused, what better place to go than to be at school? Uh-oh, spaghetti did you catch that? Drew described two-spirited people as fish or fowl, frick or frack. And clearly confused. (laughs) Well, when the various non-binary, gender-fluid, asexual spirit unicorns heard about this, they went completely bat crazy over this remark. After all, that almost sounded like they were being mocked. And we can't have that now, can we? Because mocking or even saying something that seems to be mocking or calling a group of people confused... Well, that's kind of like hate speech, and that must be banned. And so it was in the days that followed. LeDrew's 20-year career at Bell Media came to an abrupt end. Hey, LeDrew, how you dig in liberalism <laughs> these days? In a way, this would all be so laughable if there wasn't a sinister undertone to it all. For example, radical transgenderism goes hand-in-hand with Marxism. It's all about tearing down society to rebuild it through a Marxist lens. If you think I exaggerate, then consider this. We now have a U.S. Supreme Court judge who is unable to define what a woman is. Here in Canada, our chief medical health necromancer, Theresa Tam, she refers to pregnant women as pregnant persons. The term breastfeeding is increasingly under the ban. The proper and oh-so-inclusive term is chest feeding. Yes, yet another made-up word for dudes, I guess, who think they can lactate. Gee, whatever happened to follow the science? That's the chestnut that has been shoved down our throats for the past two and a half years vis-a-vis virology. Hmm, maybe biology is now a fluid science? which would explain why biological males are competing in sports with biological females and why penis-equipped males are choosing to be incarcerated in female penitentiaries. (laughs) And gee, what could possibly go wrong with that? And riddle me this, why is it that the feminist movement is so on board with all of this claptrap? Because what we are seeing is nothing short of a war on woman, as in real woman. Indeed, at the end of the day, this is pure misogyny as well as an attack on the nuclear family. And the left is perfectly fine with this. And the likes of Labatt seem to be perfectly fine with this too. Hey, either Labatt has some uber woke soy boy in charge of the marketing department these days. Or they believe that if they bend the knee to the loud radical fringe who comprise the LGGBDTTTIQQAAPP and sometimes Y community, then they will be left alone and won't be targeted for a boycott or something? Either way, those ludicrous celebrate everyone's identity cans are shameful and embarrassing. Thank God there are so many other beers on the market. It's bad enough that Bud Light is plonk to begin with. The last thing I need when I'm quenching my thirst is a lecture that is equal parts surreal and sickening. When it comes to Patrick Brown's leadership ambitions to be the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, the phrase uttered in first blood by Colonel Troutman comes to mind. It's over, Johnny. It's over. Well, yeah, there's still some legal wrangling uh, to take place. But for the most part, uh, it's curtains for Patrick Brown. Par for the course. Mr. Brown broke the rules. He got caught breaking the rules and then he played the victim card saying there was a grand conspiracy and that everyone was out to get him. (laughs) Unbelievable and somewhat pathetic if you ask me. But joining me now is my guest. He is the leader of the New Blue Party of Ontario. He is someone that has had personal dealings with Patrick Brown and we thought it would be good to get his analysis of this latest Patrick Brown fiasco. So I'm joined now by Jim Carihalios of the New Blue Party of Ontario. How you doing there, Jim?
1: I'm good, Dave. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Busy as always, my friend, which is the way we like it here at Rebel News. But uh, Jim, I'm sure you've been watching ringside as the events of the Conservative Party of Canada leadership saga unfolds and when it came to light that uh, mr brown was allegedly breaking the rules and was tossed out of the party what were your first thoughts my friend
1: well it was shocking that they let him run to begin with if you remember back in 2020 dave i was in that conservative party leadership race and they disqualified me from that race because uh the leadership committee that was running the election didn't like the fact that i was criticizing the chair of another leadership campaign, Aaron O'Toole, who was the same individual that was running the Patrick Brown-led PC Party of Ontario. And back in 2017, Patrick Brown and his team used the PC Party to sue me to try to uh, hurt my family and shut down the Axe the Carbon Tax campaign and a campaign against voter fraud that was going on. So fast forward, the Conservative Party of Canada finally figured it out in the middle of a leadership race that Maybe some of the shenanigans in Patrick Brown's record aren't what they want in a leadership race. So they've come around to taking my position on following the rules and following election laws. I'm not quite sure why it took them so long, Dave, uh, to get to the position they took. And I'm not really sure that the reasons they gave for disqualifying Patrick Brown now are greater than all of the uh, history and the track record that he has as a leader of the Ontario PC Party prior to this leadership race.
0: You know, uh, you raise some good points there, Jim. And first of all, uh, if we go back to the years when Patrick Brown was indeed the leader of the Ontario PC Party, uh, you mentioned Acts the Carbon Tax. And what I always found fascinating is why this individual passes himself off as a Conservative. I remember him telling, when he was running for leadership of the PC party of Ontario, telling social conservatives, oh, I'm gonna ax the mcguinty uh sex education curriculum. And once he became leader, he said, ah, no, nothing, no problems here. He threw the uh, social conservatives under the bus. And then one of his first policy statements was, introducing a carbon tax for Ontario, a manufacturing province, still. Um, And so he threw the fiscal Conservatives under the bus. There was no more Conservatives to throw under the bus, so the party threw him under the bus. Why is this person, who seems to be uh, a progressive, a liberal to me, uh, Jim, why does he pass himself off as a Conservative in the first place?
1: Well, the betrayal of uh, the base on policy by Patrick Brown has been well documented, not by the establishment media, but obviously, Dave, you were covering it. And the way he tried to use the levers of power in the Ontario PC party uh, to crush uh, my family and to end the axe the carbon tax campaign and the campaign against internal party voter fraud. I guess he finds a home, though, in the Conservative Party of Canada, because there are enough amongst the conservative party of canada establishment that are fine with his positions on policy and his track record they took me to task in the 2020 conservative leadership race for me flagging the history of patrick brown and his team when they were running the ontario pc party they didn't like that i was talking about that stuff in 2020 fast forward now two years later and it's become the conservative party of canada's position and if you look though the ontario pc party They've consistently adopted the Patrick Brown line with even as Doug Ford is leader, betraying conservative voters is par for the course in the Ontario PC party. So the question is not just why does Patrick Brown believe he should be in the Conservative Party of Canada? Why do many of those establishment figures and backroom dealers who are left-wing advocates on social fiscal or democratic policy, why do they continually stay involved in the Conservative Party of Canada and the Ontario PC party? And with authority and vengeance, push others out of their parties who are right of center or conservative minded and block you, Dave, from coming to events. <laughs> well, Jim, that's an excellent question. And you stole my thunder. I,
0: I was going to say I would ask uh, Premier Ford himself. But every time I show up to an event these days, uh, they call the police on me. I used to be welcomed with open arms. Uh, Doug, I, I don't know what happened to him. But, you know, um, the other thing, uh, Jim, with you being a political party insider, you know how things work. You know who's who in the zoo, as they say. Patrick Brown has hired arguably the best criminal lawyer in Canada, Marie Heinen, to go after the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, he's saying he's being hard done by, etc. But as I understand it, Jim, and maybe you can you know, take us through this, um, when these kind of complaints have come before judges in the past, they have basically ruled that a political party is like a private company or a private club, that they can make their own rules. They don't have to follow uh, democratic rules, so to speak, as a party, not as a government, of course. So I guess ultimately the question is, uh, even with top notch legal talent like Ms. Heinen, Does Patrick Brown have a snowball's chance in hell in getting uh, a reversal of the decision from the CPC?
1: So let's unpack this, Dave, because it's, um, you know, I guess we could say it's inside baseball. Uh, Legal stuff is not very exciting, but it's an important question. And so there's, I want to get to a couple of things. Number one, if you look at the amount of establishment media coverage that Patrick Brown is getting for being disqualified, it's, it's amazing because... Um, I was removed from the Conservative Party leadership race halfway during the 2020 race, and I had to go to court. I went to court, and I won the lawsuit and was reinstated, and they disqualified me a second time. And they just basically ran out the clock, the Conservative Party, to make sure that um, by the time uh, the first court case was over, I'd have to put more legal money into a second case, and the clock would run out because the race was still going on. And you look, you know, Thomas Mulcair, the former leader of the NDP, Wrote an article for CTV News the other day, and he claimed that the courts have said that political parties are under um, judicial review. And that was completely false because he was Mm. citing a case from 2017 that was later overturned by the courts. In fact, you can sue a political party. And there is a case that there's a precedent for that. And it's Karajalios versus the Conservative Party of Canada. I sued them over that 2020 race and I won. And it was the first time in Canadian history that a private citizen had successfully sued a political party. And a couple of years before that, the Ontario PC party sued me to try to bankrupt me with Patrick Brown as leader. And I won that uh, lawsuit as well. So no other private citizen has ever been sued or sued a political party. And no one has ever beaten a political party in court. There was one other individual after in 2021, that took the Conservative Party of Canada court for an internal party race. And I guess I kind of broke the ice. But if you look at the media, they ignore the 2020 disqualification. They ignore my case even existed. And why are they doing that? Because, you know, the establishment media will talk about Patrick Brown because he's the kind of candidate they like, preaching left-of-center policies. But they don't want to talk about the fact that um, me with the Conservative campaign for leader in 2020 talking about acts the carbon tax talking about integrity in the party, got removed and won in court. So I guess there's a lot to unpack there. Number one, can he sue and win? Yes, because I laid the precedent in Canadian history, and I and I put the proper legal theory with my team of lawyers, and we worked on it, and you can sue. It's not a judicial review. It is a private uh, entity, a political party, but they enter into contracts. And when you pay a fee to enter a leadership race, and there's a contract for that, you can sue and you can win. Now, the, the bigger question though is if you sue and you win and you get back in, it, you, they're kind of the odds are stacked against you because mm. they can keep making decisions and you can't, at, at some point, you can't keep going to court to um, fight that off. And then the bigger question for Patrick Brown is does he have the stomach, does he have the courage to sue them and go through with it? And, you know, they've been taking a few days here. I don't know if he does. It looks like he's, he's um, um, hedging his bets and looking at maybe running for uh, mayor of Brampton. Uh, I did it. I won. They kicked me out again a second time. And, you know, they've got the uh, levers of power at their disposal and they can keep disqualifying people over and over. But there is a precedent to win in court. It just hasn't been done very often, if at all, Dave.
0: You no, know, that's very interesting, Jim, and I do stand corrected given uh, your success. But as you said, uh, they threw you out again and they basically uh, ragged the puck until the clock ran down. So right. I guess the old adage, you can win the battle, lose the war, I suppose. But in terms of uh, the war with Patrick Brown, I, I think you're right. I-, I think probably he's subscribing to uh, a bird in the hand being where two in the bush. He's got to make a decision by August 19th. Uh, whether he's going to run for mayor again in uh, Brampton, and one of the things that isn't getting a lot of attention, Jim, is the way in which this individual has been running the city of Brampton, uh, a city he's had absolutely no affiliation with until 2018, where he there was, you know, he thought he had a chance of being the mayor, and he, and he did win it. And that is, uh, Jim, there's in the last four council meetings have been cancelled because Brown and his uh, the councillors who are friendly to him do not show up to city council, so only five councillors do. That's one short of a quorum. And basically, as I understand it, the reason why he doesn't want to have the council operate is that one of the orders of business is to launch forensic investigations against him and how money is being spent at the city, how hiring is being done. I mean, Jim, I find this incredible if if he was prime minister, it's kind of like proroguing parliament because you don't want to take prickly questions in question period. What do you make of the way Patrick Brown has has run the city of Brampton? And does that not speak volumes of what kind of a leader we would have in this country if, God forbid, this individual ever did become prime minister?
1: And you just summed up his record as mayor of Brampton, and there was plenty of uh, items that you could have talked about in his um, uh, time as leader of the PC party in 2016 and 2017, running up to that election in 2018. Why can't anybody beat Patrick Brown, except for me? That's one question, Dave. Mm. Why can't the establishment of the PC party or the conservative party beat him fair and square in a race? Why couldn't they beat him for mayor in 2018 you had nick Kuvallis and richard chiano and michael diamond top advisors for doug ford in 2018 their contribution to running someone against uh patrick brown for mayor of brampton was to host a fancy uh fundraising dinner at the albany club for a liberal who was running against patrick brown for mayor and that didn't work out so fundraisers at swanky events at the albany club are not grassroots organizing And the pc establishment has a long history of losing outside of running a campaign in 2018 on axing the carbon tax or hiding behind COVID. so there is so much to talk about when you're in a campaign against patrick brown whether it's his record leading the pc party nominations that went sideways that he didn't reverse into a democratic fashion betraying voters and now even more stuff as the mayor of brampton so the question is why can't they just beat him in a democratic race? Why couldn't uh, even Pierre's team or Roman's team or Leslie's team in the leadership talk about and debate this stuff, Patrick Brown's record, and uh, make sure that it was an easy win? And why couldn't they stop him in 2018 when he was running for mayor? And I see Nick Kuvallis, Ford's pollster, he's you know tweeting very aggressively, he loves the Twitter, he really talks tough hiding behind the Twitter about how he's <laughs> gonna stop Patrick Brown running for mayor. I just don't think swanky fundraising dinners is the way to beat Patrick Brown. Uh,
0: Even so, Jim, I I just think the big question is with these latest uh, scandals. And and by the way, uh, this doesn't include our expose that we ran last month when we caught Patrick Brown running a a secret headquarters uh, using at least six uh, city of Brampton senior staff on work time, working his campaign, completely against the rules. But I'm just wondering, given that Patrick Brown and scandal seem to go together about as well as, you know, peanut butter and jam, um, has Patrick Brown's brand, is it now gone once and for all? Or is he kind of like the political um, version of that horror character from the Friday the 13th movies, you know, Jason Voorhees, you think that the bad guy's dead and then he pops up again and he keeps on going. I mean, uh, if he does run for mayor of the city of Brampton, are there enough people out there to buy what this guy is selling?
1: Uh, Yes, because what the (laughs) establishment just did to Patrick Brown is uh, inject uh, uh, more fuel into his grassroots campaign. They made the mistake in 2018. I was running a campaign against the carbon tax and against voter fraud in the party. The establishment behind the PC party planted stories digging into uh, Patrick Brown's relationships from years ago. That Why not just talk about and clean up the PC party? They chose they didn't want to do that because they agreed with his position on the carbon tax. Fast forward to 2022. They let him run in the leadership. They let it run its course and they boot him on one allegation. And now you've created this entire spectacle that the establishment media is talking about now for days. This idea that he might sue, the idea that he was, you know, uh, and and people are arguing about it. Was it legit that he was disqualified under this or not? So what does that do? You're creating uh, a spectacle around this guy. You're increasing his name recognition rather than challenging him on the issues, which is what they should have been doing. Talking about his track record and talking about his betrayal of conservative voters, but they don't want to do that. They want to talk about one allegation in the leadership and they want to talk about his relationship history uh, back in 2018. And there, I hate to say it, Dave, because I know I saw your face. You didn't want me to give you this answer, but they're adding (laughs) fuel to the fire and he can parlay that into a grassroots campaign like he did in 2018 and keep that seat, and you know, as much as Nick Kuvallis might not want to hear it, uh, fancy polls and fundraising dinners at the Albany Club is not enough to beat a guy in a grassroots campaign. And he does work really hard, Patrick Brown. He ha- is a disaster when it comes to running parties. He doesn't know how to tell people that run and do shady deals to back away, and sometimes he gets mixed up in, in, in it himself. Whether he's actually ordering that or no- or not, we won't know, because we never get to the bottom of this stuff with the establishment. Uh, But, you know, he's almost obsessive in terms of he's constantly campaigning from one campaign to the other, municipal, federal, back and provincial for a brief time. And it's going to take a lot of uh, work to stop him running for Mayor Brampton. And it's going to take a debate on the issues. Mm. And someone Mm. principled that says this betrayal of conservative voters, this drive to the left is not acceptable.
0: Jim, we're almost out of time. We've got about a minute left. Uh, I just want to ask you, in terms of last month's election in Ontario, I mean, I was personally saddened that your wife, Belinda Carajalios, uh, did not retain her seat. I thought even if we just have one independent in Queen's Park, at least she could have been um, a, the conscience of the legislature, if you will. Um, certainly, I think a couple of things went wrong Uh One was the NDP and the Liberals. They ran brutal campaigns and they had lackluster leaders. Secondly, tons of people stayed at home. They didn't bother coming out. It was one of the lowest, if not the lowest, turnout in Ontario history. Uh, And that's probably why the Doug Ford PCs went up seven seats to an even bigger majority. Very quickly, in less than a minute, Jim, what is your assessment of the... uh, 2022 uh, election that occurred in Ontario last month.
1: Well, well, you're right. They lost 400,000 votes, the PCs, from um, the last election to this one. And that's despite the fact they gained hundreds of thousands of voters from the left party. So you can imagine the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Conservative voters who didn't vote. And we had a year and a half to two years to get the new blue party up and running. We're very proud of the fact that we registered 124 candidates finished the race with one of our candidates on a ballot in every single riding. And um, we are now the fifth largest party uh, in Ontario politics. We had a better showing in our first election in Ontario than the PPC did as a federal party in their first election. And no parties uh, obtained the vote share or the number of votes in their first election campaign in Ontario uh, since the 1930s outside of the PCs, Liberals and NDP. Of course, we would have liked to have retained our seat in Cambridge and Belinda worked so hard for the constituents in a year and a half, but when the establishment media ignores our campaign ignores. Uh, the way belinda and I and our candidates have been fighting back that puts us at a disadvantage, a year and a half is all also not enough time to make the new blue party of Ontario a household name. And, uh, you know, Dave, you've seen a lot of me, and maybe sometimes you think it's too much a Jim, but uh, we, Belinda and I have only been in politics for four or five years, and some of these other political figures uh, that we talk about have been in it for decades, and they have built in a name brand. Doug is still borrowing on the name brand of his brother, Rob, right? And even a little bit from their dad. And so this stuff takes time, and uh, many, many voters in Ontario, we had record low turnout, did not show up to vote, and our job is to let them know that the new blue party exists and that it's and then that it's a, a team of uh, people across Ontario that are qualified to be elected to uh, Ontario provincial Parliament and we'll be back in four years and we'll keep building on the ground in every single riding. because one thing that the election showed us for sure is that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in Ontario are tired of the establishment parties. They want another option. And it's going to take us time to earn their trust and let them know that the new blue party exists. And we're going to have to fight the challenges of hostile characters uh, on the right of center spectrum that appear to be saying all the right rhetoric, but are trying to hurt the new blue party. And we're going to have to unite with those that are sincere and keep challenging those that are out to sabotage us. So there's a lot at play here, but it takes time, Dave, and it takes a lot of work, and we're continuing with it.
0: Well, Jim, I want to thank you for your time and certainly 2026 in political terms, uh, the next election. That's an eternity. I'm sure we'll be uh, speaking uh, many times before then. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much again for your time, Jim.
1: Thanks a lot, Dave.
0: And that was Jim Carahalios, the leader of the New Blue Party of Ontario. Keep it here, folks. More of the Ezra Levent show to come right after this. While well, checking some of the feedback from yesterday's Ezra Levent show, we have Claude who writes, YouTube has shut down practically everything on this completely. I think he means the what's going on in the Netherlands right now with the farmer revolt folks. In fact, it's exceedingly difficult to find anything new on this situation online. The common people around the globe are in serious trouble. Anyone else notice that suddenly there are new COVID emergencies ever since these uprisings started? You know, a couple of points here. First of all, shame on YouTube uh, for throttling information on this very important issue. As I've said before, going back some 15 years ago, when the likes of Facebook and YouTube and Twitter first started, it was come on, come all. It was going to be a big free speech a reservoir where everything goes and then once these Silicon Valley tech giants achieved a critical mass, they got picky and choosy, which is another way of saying those with not, that do not have a leftist bent, well, you are put in the penalty box sometimes forever. And also with the war that the Dutch government is engaging on nitrogen. The new N-word, if you will. Right now, it's the Netherlands, folks, but how soon will it be before it comes to a nation near you? You know in Canada, I am positive the Justin Trudeau Liberals are looking at a similar nitrogen ban here in our great dominion. They don't like to be out-virtue-signaled by any government in the world. And as always, we pay the price. And Jimmy Zhao writes, fair reporting, Sheila, giving bureaucrats praise when they deserve praise and criticism when they deserve criticism. And of course, that was bureaucrats saying, yes, indeed, males have a superior advantage to females when it comes to sports, which is why it has been never thus, folks that with the exception of equestrian and auto racing, males and females compete in different divisions. I just wonder if the bureaucrats responsible for that report are gonna be brought up on hate crime charges for not going along with the radical transgenderism ideology that is so apparent these days. Well, that wraps up tonight's edition of the Ezra Levent Show. Ezra will indeed be back on Friday. In the meantime, as the big boss man likes to say, keep fighting for freedom.
3: For the international viewers who do not know what is going on here in the Netherlands, we've been embedded with the tractor convoys and the farmers where they are protesting against the Dutch government for these insane environmental policies that are going to completely wreck the agricultural sector of the Netherlands. And a reminder to the viewers that the Netherlands is actually a high exporter in food and supply chains. Now, these policies will include trying to reduce nitrogen emissions where the government wants to purchase or forcefully take up to roughly 50% in total of farmland within the Netherlands. Naturally, the farmers have taken it upon themselves to protest against these policies. Now, these policies also include the Agenda 2030 playbook from none other than the World Economic Forum over in Davos with the Bond villain himself, Klaus Schwab, which Mark Root, the prime minister of this country, is heavily involved with. this is lewis brackpool for rebel news and today i'll be visiting a farm in bergam a farmer from the local area came to have a chat with me about his concerns with the government overreach from mark root and the world Economic forum. Maar
2: je als je
0: huis bouwt in stad, dat zijn ze aan doen. Dat is natuurlijk. Als je een leeg trekt, in
2: stad I'm Oepke van der Beek. Uh, I have a dairy farm with uh, 60 cows and uh, and the, of course the the younger cattle. So uh, in an amount of uh, hundred that would be um, Basically, we're just uh, producing milk and meat, uh, mostly from, uh, from grass-fed, of mm-hmm. course. So the, the cattle will go outside, uh, mostly of the year. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, winter day they'll uh, stay inside. Mm. And it's, uh, well, I'm the third generation now, uh, yeah. which is uh, doing that. And it's it's one of the most fantastic jobs to do. Yeah. Um, be, being there, being in nature, uh, working with your soil and, and everything, uh, the, the whole... Uh, circle it, it has to be rounded. That's that's just
3: one of the fantastic things to uh, be part of. Let's talk about the, the current situation in the Netherlands. <clears throat> of course, as we've been seeing, and it's now international, yep. that uh, a lot of the farmers are very, very unhappy with this overreach from the Dutch government, uh, with new laws that are coming in to do with nitrogen, to do with uh, taking away percentage, percentages of, uh, of the land, uh, the farmlands. Um, can you give your take on what you think is going on? And um, yeah, let's let's start with that. Yeah. So so let's start with. I think
2: what's going on. Um, I, I think I don't have any idea, and that's the the whole point. Uh, we need a government to say like, okay, guys, this is the the the, the, the horizon we want to go over here, and that's that's the lack of, of government we uh, we have at this point, and they're they're just uh, igniting a bomb here and there and you know if we're going to do something let's do something but let's do it all together yeah. and now nobody knows uh, you know, what's going on so uh, just just for an example we're, uh, we're talking about a reduction um, yeah. how high will that reduction be and what are we reducing on point of what so what's yeah. your what, what is point zero and uh, like yeah if we're reducing on uh, 10 years ago well that that would be
3: a lot more. Uh, yeah. A lot more difficult. A lot, yeah. Because there's um, there's talk that it could be uh, farmers will have to give up 30 percent. 20 percent, 10 percent. Where and then so it fluctuates for yeah, different
2: farms. And then you'll get an average around a 50 percent. So let's say everybody goes down a 50 percent. Wow. Yeah. And that's uh, yeah, there the, the was one politician who said that there will be um, a new model, a new finance model. But we don't have that yet. Right. So first, you'll cut everything in half, Mm. and then just see who will, who will manage. Mm. Yeah, that's. So Uh, so it's a bit of uh, uh, hopeless, and I think a lot of uh, colleagues are uh, desperate because we want to have answers. Yeah. And that's because I I I don't mean we we really really love doing this job. It's it's not an economical thing. It's it's Mm. being in the field with your animals, with your soil, with your ever and. Man, it's it's fantastic, and, and yeah, we love doing that.
3: Yeah. Um, how do I know it's a silly question? But how does it make you feel that politicians in their offices in the city uh, are telling the rurals basically you're to give this up to combat nitrogen emissions and, and things like that? Uh, how does that make you feel? Well, the the sad thing
2: about it is well well let let's say we have to do something. Let let's go with that. Um, the sad thing is, why the farmers and wh- why not industry? Why not everybody? So that's yeah, we're 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 like the only uh, only guys in the scene who uh, who are getting kicked. Yeah, and that's that, that's the feeling of uh, I, I think a lot of uh, yeah friends of mine also, and yeah. and it's it it, it makes everybody look, um, one gets sad, the other gets um, disappointed. Everybody uh, the other one gets angry. Yeah. Everybody deals with it in its own way. Yeah. So yeah, let's see if uh, if we could yeah, manage to to get a a very concrete plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good plan and then go further.